This week on Myths and Legends, there are two stories from Latin American folklore. On the first, we'll see why you shouldn't help snakes. Or anyone, ever. On the second, we'll learn how to bring people back from the dead for fun and profit. The creature this week is the monster from the real-life Castle Frankenstein. This is Myths and Legends, episode 306, Payback. This is a podcast where we tell stories from mythology and folklore. Some are incredibly popular stories you might think you know, but with surprising origins. Others are stories that might be new to you, but are definitely worth a listen. This week on the podcast, there are two stories from Latin American folklore about people getting payback and people getting paid while trying to avoid the payback of others. The first is from the early modern period, and the second is set a little bit later than that, but they're both basically fairy tales, so we don't need to worry too much about the date. We'll start with the story of a father and son out on a walk in the middle of the day and the thing they discover in the woods. Don't, the dad said to his son as the son knelt down by the log, the log that had fallen on a snake. But dad, the snake will die if I don't save it, the boy pointed out. Yeah, buddy, that's a venomous snake. You lift that log, it'll bite you and kill you, then your mom will kill me, so I'm just looking out for everyone here. Don't do it. I did it, the boy said, flipping the log over. The father froze as the snake slithered off. Both of them breathed. Wow, that was lucky. Ah, I'm just messing with you. The snake slithered back and coiled around the boy's leg. Of course I'm going to bite the boy. I'm a snake. The father pleaded, please, don't bite his son. The boy just rescued the snake. Yeah, and I'm repaying good with evil, just like everyone else does. It's the way of the world, the rule. Really, you should have taught him the rules. That's on you. I'm a snake. What do you expect? Just then, from the road not ten feet away from the boy and the snake, the father heard the clomp of a donkey. Oh, donkey, donkey, the man called out. The donkey, walking by himself down the road, turned into the trees. Hey, what's up? Ooh, snake situation. Yikes. Well, sorry, better your child than me, the donkey said. Donkey, I need your help, the man said. The snake had his son, and he needed to explain to the snake that you don't repay good with evil. That wasn't the rule. Oh, no, it it totally is. The donkey nodded. Yeah, 100%. He thought that it wasn't, but look where that got him. He worked for years, enduring whippings, working endless days in the field, and now that he was too old, the farmer simply stopped feeding him and let him go. He was going to starve out here. I say bite the kid. Always repay good with evil because that's all you can ever hope to get from anyone else, the donkey sneered, kind of laying all of his issues out before heading back. Yep, if you always expect the worst out of people, you'll never be disappointed, the donkey yelled back from the road. That's not a good lesson. Don't listen to that sad donkey, the father said to his son. The snake said, see? Now, he was just going to open his mouth wide and... Oh, hey, snake, you biting a guy? A horse head popped through the trees. The snake turned, horse, how's it going? Horse said, cool, good, well, terrible, actually. He was just beaten and cast out because he was lame. 
He served his master for years and years, but the moment he needs help, repaying good with evil, weigh the world. The father said, thank you, horse. So nice of you to contribute. We'll be seeing you. The horse snorted. Rude. Some humans. He trotted off down the road, too. I don't know what you're trying to prove, the snake said. Then they heard a rustling in the leaves. Dog walked out. Dog, man's best friend. The dad bent down to pet the dog. The dog recoiled. Oh, best friend, yeah. Did the dad make all of his friends sleep on the floor, live in a cage, poop outside, and eat scraps and trash? The dad said the dog should probably go. Yeah, I think so too, the dog sneered. Man's best friend, please. As the snake was saying that the dad had lost, everyone repays good with evil, it's the way of the world, the dad felt a tug on his pant leg. He looked down, and the yellow eyes of the fox smiled back. Hey, did the dad want his son back? The dad said, yes, absolutely, more than anything. Two fat chickens, the fattest chickens. The fox held up two claws. Deal, the dad said. And the snake, who was about to bite, heard the fox clear his throat. Now, the trio sat and listened to the fox. They listened to him extol a flawless system of ethics. What he said was so simple and yet so profound that everyone agreed it made perfect sense. And if more people knew it and followed it, it would change the world. At the end of the speech, the snake uncoiled from the boy's leg and wiped his eyes, which should demonstrate how moving the fox's words were because snakes don't have tear ducts. The snake said fox's speech changed him. He would no longer repay good with evil. He held out his tail and did a weird snake handshake with the boy, apologizing for holding him hostage. And he slithered off. A better snake. Wow, that was beautiful, the dad said, staring off in the distance in amazement. What's beautiful are those chickens, the fox said, snapping his fox fingers. The father nodded, absolutely. He led the fox off back toward the farmhouse. I'd invite you in, but we have a dog, the farmer shrugged. He passed the fox some bread to munch on while the fox waited for the farmer to go in and catch the fattest of the hens. The father explained the situation to his wife, who smiled, grabbed a sack and some twine, and went out back. The father handed the struggling, weighty sack to the fox, whose eyes bulged. Wow, those were some hens, all right. He was happy to have helped the farmer. He dragged the sack, that had now settled down, off beyond the turn in the road. The boy was proud of his dad. His dad, who repaid good with good. It showed the boy that there could be a different, better way. That the world could grow and evolve and become a place where they could all live in peace and happiness and the boy looked outside to the chickens that clucked in the yard. The two biggest hens were running around, pecking at the seeds in the dirt. Dad, you didn't give the fox the two biggest hens? The dad laughed. Uh, yeah, no. The boy looked again and counted. Actually, all the hens were there. You didn't give him any hens, the boy said, still wondering what happened. <laughs> nope, the dad smiled and continued reclining by the window. 
where the breeze floated in. We're not going to give a fox our best hens, honey. We're not suckers, the mother said. But the fox saved my life, the boy sat back, processing everything. And that was a choice he made, the mother said. He didn't have to make that choice or take his reward. What was the reward? The boy grew serious. Then he looked around. Wait, where's the dog? The dad and mother smiled at each other, clearly proud of their quick thinking. They said the dog will be back when he was finished with the fox. The boy was horrified. What? The dad said. The fox should have known. You repay good with evil. It's the way of the world. He tipped his hat over his eyes and went to sleep during the heat of the day. was a sad little tale. There are some stories where tragic circumstances happen that are completely out of the character's control. In this one, though, everyone was just deeply terrible because they were raised with the idea that the world would repay evil for good. So they should too. The pessimistic side is people wanting one set of rules when they need help, and another when they're expected to do anything to help someone else in need, and that the son would internalize that message, grow up to be like his parents, and the cycle would repeat itself. I guess there's a glint of optimism. The snake changes his behavior and makes better, kinder choices, but it does show that it takes all of us working together to make the world a better place. Just one dog in a sack, and we're back to square one. Next up, it's a story from Mexico about a man who's discovered a way to get a free lunch. But that will be right after this. The man from the city dried his eyes at the wake. Then he realized that they were already dry. He splashed some water on them and dried them. Ah, she was taken too young. Or they all saw this coming at the end of a long life and she was finally at peace. Or, or something else. It was usually one of those things. He rose and scooped some more food from the table into his lined pockets. As he was chewing a tortilla, his eyes caught a word from across the wake. Peso. Now, the city man was looking for money, just not looking super hard. He was in between positions. Of course, his wife had no idea. He left every morning for work, and at first he started wandering. About a week ago, he chanced upon a wake and the ensuing free lunch. All you had to do was sit there and look sad. People rarely asked what you were doing there, usually just grateful that the departed had a full life with a lot of friends. He would snag some dinner while their backs were turned and then head home. The further he ventured into the country, the longer it took him to get home, and the more his wife praised him for working so hard. Win-win. He stopped chewing so he could listen to the whispers on the other side of the doorway. How many pesos for her to go to heaven, the man asked. The adolescent voice answered that the priest said 100. 100 pesos in the casket should do it. The father hesitated. Uh, okay, sure. Go put them in while no one was looking. The city man swallowed the food and smiled. Welp, looked like he was putting in some overtime tonight.
Now, there's a difference between crashing funerals and grave robbing. The city man didn't really care to parse through the morals as he borrowed the gravedigger's shovel. After the man went home that day, found the casket, and pried it open. The city man put a kerchief on his face as he rooted around in there and, yep, got it. The bag jingled, 100 pesos. The city man looked at the bag, at the corpse, and thought up another idea. Now, like there's a difference between crashing funerals and grave robbing, there's also a difference between grave robbing and taking the corpse of the recently deceased back to her home to make even more money. The city man finished propping up the body by the door, knocked, and ran to hide beneath the window. When the son answered the door, he shrieked. Because, yes, the corpse of his mother fell through the door and landed on him. The son and the father were freaking out, and the father had no idea what was going on. Why was she back? This just didn't happen. The city man heard fingers snap. It was the pesos. It, obviously, it wasn't enough. They needed to leave another hundred. That would do it, right? They hoped. All of this was extremely traumatic. Traumatic or no, the city man wasn't about to let a live one get away. The next night, he cleaned out the coffin and took the corpse back. Again, to the house. Unfortunately, the father and son had feared this. Her return. They heard the rustling outside, and the city man couldn't get to the window. He could barely get to the path. The father and son screamed again, and even though the city man awkwardly speed walked away, and I know that's a redundant description, there's no non-awkward speed walk, the city man barely made it to the road. There, breathless, he looked back and saw the father catching the corpse before it hit his son. The son, though, looked out at the road and made eye contact with the city man. The city man gasped and continued his not-suspicious speed walking. Stop! Stop! The two men called behind him after they set the corpse down on the floor at home. The city man, mainly because he didn't want to look suspicious, mainly because running was tiring and not fun, kept up the walk. Soon, he heard footsteps behind him. You, you were at the wake, the father shouted. The city man turned around. What? I saw you, around the corner, listening. I think you know what's going on here. The city man swallowed hard and didn't dare to move lest they hear the jingle in his pockets. You came back to see the dead walk. You know she's not being led into heaven the father trailed off. The city man blinked. Yes. Yes, he did. No stuff. Tears began to form on the father's lower eyelid. Please. He only wanted his wife to be at peace. He couldn't bear the thought of her being cast out of heaven. If the man knew she was going to rise again, he knew what it would take to help her stay in the grave. To find peace. To find heaven. The city man's hand rested on the money in his pocket. He sighed. Yeah, he could help the family out. And then a smile flashed. It was 500, actually. 500 pesos in total, and the dead would stay in the ground. So that's how, with 300 more pesos in his pocket, the city man took the corpse back to the graveyard, buried her, and, true to his word, she stayed in the ground this time. The sun rose at the far edge of the road as the man, sweaty, dirt-lined, and 400 pesos richer than he was the day before, lumbered home 
after reburying the corpse the final time. The city man squinted. Something moved up ahead in the sunlight. He wasn't far from the city gates. What was... <gasps> Shoot! Bandits! The city man looked left and right before diving from the road into some bushes. By the time the bandits were anywhere near him, he was past the tree line. Safely in the forest, he breathed and then... <gasps> Shoot, bandits. The bandits were turning and heading into the forest. The man ran until he broke through to a clearing beside a stream. <sighs> Whew, that was a close one. And, oh, seriously? When the bandits emerged into the clearing, they looked around. Were they sure they weren't followed? The lead bandit said yes. Now start digging. A half an hour later, they were gone. 45 minutes after that, the city man emerged from the stream, taking his first breath that wasn't through a reed in almost an hour. As he sat panting, thankful that he wasn't about to be turned into a human sieve by a bunch of bandits, he emerged from the water and looked at the rounded pile of dirt. It was curiosity more than anything, but he scooped some loose earth up, then some more. Soon, he found what the bandits had been out there hiding gold, a chest full of gold. He had been out all night moving corpses around for 500 pesos. Here was a thousand times that, if not more. His heart beat in his throat, sweat beaded on his forehead. He threw the coin back in, scooped the dirt back over the hole, and ran as fast as he could home. We'll see why, when you find bandits burying their gold, you should keep your mouth shut, but that will, once again, be right after this. Why are you wet? His wife asked. Also, why was he looking like he just witnessed a murder? Uh, she rolled her eyes. Okay... What happened with the corpse thing? She pulled out a knife she had hidden in her dress. Were they about to have company? The man said no. The corpse thing went okay. He made about 500 pesos. But no, it was the forest. He found so much gold. Then he stopped. Wait, how did she know about the corpse thing? The wife relaxed and sheathed her knife. Gold. In the forest? The man said, yeah, he was on his way home and the bandits got one look at him and pulled off the road in fear. He was curious if he needed to bring them to justice. But by the time he made it to their hideout, they had fled, leaving a chest buried in the forest in a clearing by a spring. The wife shook her head. He was just the worst. Just ridiculous. Did he expect her to believe any of that? Who did he think she was? The city man knitted his brow. Where was this coming from? Also, how did she know about the wakes? Because you're really bad at what you do. She knew he didn't like going to work, but he could at least hide it better. He needed to get a job that was not throwing people's dead mothers on them. The man, who had been up all night throwing corpses on families, said that he couldn't get a job because he never finished school. It was boring. The wife laughed. Well, that settled it. Tomorrow, he was going to school. The city man scoffed. Uh, no, he wasn't. 
he was a grown man. She then started listing off villages. Villages that he had been to. Villages that might not like that he had been crashing wakes and grave robbing. School tomorrow! Yup, love to, the city man sneered. He had all day at home to rest. And he went to bed that night sleeping on a cot in a spare room. He didn't want to share a bed with his wife, which has been so mean lately. That night, there was a thud, a jangle, and a curse from the back of the house. The dog whined, and the man rose from his cot. What in the world? He bravely peeked out the window to see what the noise was about, and saw his wife, in the light of a lantern, scooping coins back into a chest, the same chest he had seen at the bandit dig site. He made a fist. She did believe him. She just wanted all the gold for herself. That lying liar. The dog started scratching at the back door. The man tried to quiet him down, but soon the wife came in. Dirt up to her elbows. She gasped when she saw the husband looking at her. Hello? Hi, the husband said, staring at her intensely. I was just taking a walk. Indeed, the husband didn't break her gaze. The, the dog needs to go out, the wife said, rooting through a cupboard. Here, tie him up outside, out, out, out front, she specified. Does he now? The wife pressed something into the husband's hands. Here, here's a rope, tie him up with this. The husband grabbed the dog by the collar. Oh, oh, she was going to get it. He was going to yell so many words, trying to take the money. He was so deep in thought about all the words he was going to yell at his wife that he didn't even realize the thing his wife had grabbed from the cupboard to tie up the dog, because she was evidently so surprised to see him, were sausages. He still did it because he was so excited to tell her off. So after he finished tying the dog up, and the dog immediately broke free and ate the rope because it was made out of sausages, the husband stormed back inside to see his wife asleep in bed. What? What yourself? Are you coming back to bed? The husband said that she needed to get up. They were going to talk about what happened. Talk about me sleeping, the wife said. The husband said, no, the, the gold. The gold she got from the forest. The made-up gold? Oh my gosh, I am not having this conversation right now. Besides, you need to go to sleep. You have school in the morning. The husband went out to the backyard. Ah, he glowered, even though she tried to cover it up. There were still fresh carriage tracks in the dirt. She had that money from the bandits in the forest. The first day of school? Not so bad. The city man walked home, his books flung over his shoulder on a belt like those old movies. Sure, it was a little weird to be with your friend's kids in school, but, you know, they were respectful, kind, they didn't say anything. Plus, this was the early modern period. There were, like, no laws about beating up children, so, yeah, they kept their mouths shut. He was learning a lot and moving pretty quickly. It was a strange Billy Madison situation, but they were rolling with the punches, and the city man stopped when he saw his yard. His yard covered in caramels. Well, caramels, sour balls, bonbons, candy. He stopped and ran his fingers through his hair. What was all this? His wife thundered out, exasperated, broom in hand. 
He asked, what happened? Were they just pranked in the best way possible? She said, no, it rained caramels again. She swept the backyard. She needed him to sweep the front. Rained caramels, is that a thing? The husband took the broom. The wife said, oh yeah, it's a thing, look around you. And if they didn't get it cleaned up by dusk, the rodents and all that were going to settle in. And then they'd investigate the house. So please, just get sweeping. The man took the broom, bewildered. Uh, sure. He swept and, yeah, they were caramels and sour balls and bonbons. He tried to work out how fully wrapped caramels could fall from the sky, but the day had already been a literal education in all the things he had not yet learned in life. You know, this world was truly a place of wonders. He skipped dinner on account of all the dirt-coated caramels he ate, and sour balls, and bonbons. The shot rang out in town. The city man froze. Their horses kicked up the dust of the road. Five of them. One got down, walked up to a post, and inspected the wanted poster like he was looking in a mirror. He chuckled and left it up. Children ran to their parents. People ran inside. The city man remained frozen. Someone in this town knows what happened to our money, the leader called out. Another shot, pointed toward the sky, echoed through the town. The leader spat on the ground and pointed his weapon at the shopkeeper. Was it you? The man fainted. The bandit chuckled, and his weapon swept the scene. Then he saw the husband, frozen in terror. His spurs jangled as he walked over, and pressed the muzzle to the husband's head. How about you? The bandit's breath reeked as he leaned in real close. Did you take our money? I, I didn't take the money in the forest, the husband said. The bandit stood up straight. Oh, well, isn't that something? Boys, he says he didn't take our money from the forest. The other bandits closed in. See, the thing is, the bandit said, popping open his revolver and replacing the two rounds he had already fired. I never mentioned the forest. It wasn't long before... Dragged outside the town, the husband told everything. How he was on his way back from the country, how he saw them and told his wife, but she didn't believe him or said she didn't. Really, she went back and dug it up. She had it. Please, don't kill them. The bandits made no promises and dragged him home. What are you doing with him? The wife demanded of the bandits as they threw the husband down on the front porch and drew their weapons. You have our money, the bandits stated. You give it to us, only you die. We have to search for it. You both die. Why would you think I have money, the woman said. Look at this place. My husband has to crash funerals for a meal. Does it look like things are going really great for us? The bandit leader shook his head. No games. The husband knew about the forest. He says you went and got the money. Is that what he said? The wife replied. Look, she didn't think the bandits completely understood the situation. She said that before they murdered two innocent people in cold blood, 
they should hear a complete recounting of what the husband thought happened. The wife gestured to the husband, and maybe more scared of her than the bandits, he began to spill it. Well, it was the night after the corpse was walking around, and I came back, and I saw these guys, and I was like, ah, but I was breathing underwater, so they didn't see me. That was the night my wife came back with the money, the the night I tied the dog up with the sausages, and the next day I had to go to school because of the walking corpses, you know, ugh. And I remember all this exactly because that day it rained caramels and sour balls and bonbons. There was a long silence in front of the house. I'm very sorry to trouble you, ma'am. The bandit leader holstered his weapon. That happened to my grandfather. It, it's very difficult. He has his good days and he has his bad days, the wife said frowning and shrugging. We just pray for the good. The bandits tipped their hats and left the house. The husband looked around. What was going on? Why were the bandits leaving? Also, why didn't he get an apology? The wife smacked him on the back of the head, smiled and waved to the bandits, and then went back inside to count her money. That was a fun one. Members will recognize the second half of the story as similar to an episode we did a long time ago called The Day It Snowed Tortillas. This one was much more fleshed out and complete. I do like how, from the moment the wife learns of the gold, she starts running a con on her own husband. Everything after that was done because she knew he wouldn't be able to stand up to questioning, and she was prepping for that last interaction. They truly belong together. Next week, we're in Slavic folklore with the stories of two wife guys, and we'll see that it's nice to compliment your spouse, just maybe not at the king's feast, where by doing so, you insult the king. You know, the one with all of his armed guards around. If you'd like to support the show, there's still a membership thing on the site and on Apple Podcasts. For less than the price of cat butt keycaps, things you can replace the keys on your keyboard with cat butts, you can get extra episodes and ad-free versions of the show that that do not continue the, to me, bewildering trend of cat butt items. Like, get a cat, they love shoving that thing in your face. That's 100% of the cat butt you could never need. For more info on the membership, check out mythpodcast.com slash membership, or go to Apple Podcasts. The creature this week is the magician's monster from Castle Frankenstein in Germany. Now, yes, I didn't know this until this week, uh, which is maybe kind of bad because we did three episodes covering Frankenstein on fictional, but Castle Frankenstein is an actual place. Yeah, apparently Castle Frankenstein overlooks the city of Darmstadt in Germany, and it's up for debate whether or not Mary Shelley was inspired by the castle or even knew about it. That being said, the legend surrounding the magician's monster is pretty close to what made it into the Frankenstein novel. Another little link back to myth, legend, and fairy tale, Mary Claremont, Mary Shelley's stepmother, was apparently a translator for the Grimm brothers. She, allegedly, received a letter from Jacob Grimm about a folktale surrounding Castle Frankenstein, a folktale apparently too dark for the Grimm brothers to print. Apparently, Johann Dippel, who was born in the castle and who studied theology and philosophy, was also employed there as an alchemist. 
Most of this is thought to be myth, (laughs) unlike everything we've discussed on the Creature of the Week segment in the past, which is complete fact, but Dipple claimed to be the creator of the Elixir of Life, which is exactly what it sounds like and also fake. He tried to buy Castle Frankenstein with it, but was turned down. Instead, he turned to more sinister pursuits, according to legend. Like Victor Frankenstein, he allegedly dug up cadavers, sewed them together, and brought a monster to life. The magician's monster. And because monsters are gonna monster, it broke out, killed him, and fled into the forest, despite having a perfectly good creepy castle to live in. There, it's lonely, so it picks up children to play with. But it quickly tires of their crying and wanting to go home. So, yeah, it has them over for dinner, but not in a good way. And yes, according to legend, that is apparently the line for Jacob and Wilhelm Grimm when it comes to child murder, because that story is just, quote, horrible. In reality, Johann Dippel, the magician part of the magician's monster, lived in the castle as a, quote, avid dissector, and published a pamphlet where he claimed to have discovered an elixir that would keep him alive until the age of 135. A year later, he died of a stroke. He was also well known for Dipple's oil, a, quote, byproduct of the destructive distillation of bones, a dark, viscous, tar-like liquid with an unpleasant smell. It's primarily used as an animal and insect repellent, but during the Second World War, it was used to render wells undrinkable in the deserts of Egypt and Libya. And I guess because the oil was not lethal, it was claimed to not be in breach of the Geneva Protocol. Which, I don't know, if your saving grace is that it technically wasn't a war crime because the thing itself wasn't lethal, you kind of lost the thread at that point, I think. Anyway, back to Castle Frankenstein. It, I guess should come as no surprise, has not one, but three legends associated with it. Apparently a dragon used to hang out by the wall before a guy named George fought it to protect his love, Anne-Marie. George killed it before it poisoned him. Both died in a deadly, pokey hug and Anne-Marie died of a broken heart, making it a completely tragic ending. There's also a fountain of youth nearby, unrelated to the elixir of life. Apparently hidden behind the herb garden, the fountain of youth bubbles. On Walpurgis night, April 30th, elderly women come by and undergo a test of courage, and the one who succeeds gets to be rejuvenated to the age she was on the night of her wedding. I wish I knew what the test of courage was. Sorry. For me, it would be like public speaking, or dealing with a tiny snake. I'd probably just opt to stay old. Anyway, that's the legend of the magician's monster, with the lesson being, if you're going to stitch a bunch of cadavers together and bring it to life, you have to be responsible for it. Teach it how to behave, clean up after it, care for it. Don't lock it in your dungeon or chase it off into the forest, forbidding it to return under pain of death. You know, basic parenting. And to wrap this up, I don't mean to be pedantic, but calling it Castle Frankenstein is actually a common mistake. The correct way to refer to it is Castle Frankenstein's monster. That's it for this week. Myths and Legends is by Jason and Carissa Weiser. The theme song is by Broke for Free, and the Creature of the Week music is by Steve Combs. There are links to more of the music we used in the show notes. Thank you so much for listening. And we'll see you next time.